What happens when you dig too deep and find the answer to the blockbuster kaiju movies of the U.S. and Japan and find out that they are indeed perhaps harder to replicate than you originally imagined? You get the Danes throwing their hat in the ring in this week's episode. Kaiju versus history. Reptilicus. Welcome back to Kaiju vs. Cinema. This is Miles, and with me on this week's dive into the past is Patrick, where we are taking another trip via bikes to the dikes of a happy Hogu. Hyogu. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it looks like Heige. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I still don't, but anyway. <laughs> we're, going, we're, going, we're, going, we're going to Denmark this week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> For our one and only trip there, I think, in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit when we get to the legacy, but this is Denmark's only monster movie, which is mm. interesting. Yeah, and it's another co-production with AIP, who we, we've talked about before, American International Pictures, and it seemed like there were multiple European production companies that were like, you know, we'll, we'll finance part of this, we'll provide the actors and shooting locations, we just need that American scratch, you know, to get it financed and then eventually re-released in, in America to, to make some bucks. Bucks at yeah, the drive-in. It's interesting because until the the Showa era kicks off in in earnest uh, with you know Mothra and Godzilla versus or King Kong versus Godzilla, mm-hmm. you know it seemed like the Europeans were kind of standing stepping up to the plate for making monster movies because I think we've got a couple of European pictures this month that we're gonna be talking about. Yes, and I mean also the last film of the fifties that we looked at, the giant behemoth, of course, was was another one in that vein. So we've got unbelievably like four in a row from, from Europe. And and then, and then that's it for a little bit. (laughs) Yes. I'm trying to think if there's others in the, the sixties because yeah, then we're going to go to Japan and the, the greater Japan area for the rest of the decade, basically (laughs) for the majority of those films. Even the movies that I don't really care for from that time period, I can at least watch and digest. But but back but to Reptilicus, which it's, is it's interesting because we do see kind of like waves of, you know, the American films from the 50s took a little while to get their international distribution. I think maybe there was just a little bug in Europe. They're like, you know, we want our own giant monsters. We want well, our own King Kong. And it's I didn't get to see uh, enough interviews with either director of, of this picture, but it does seem that, like you said, there, there was a little bit of an interest in making a a giant monster film, not necessarily a, a giant bug movie like um, like America had been doing for a decade. But there, there seemed to be an interest to make, for lack of a better term yet, a kaiju film. This one definitely falls into into what we call kaiju and it is a great example of a lot of the tropes that that we've seen kind of established here and it's 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 pretty amazing this is a fairly early one you know we're still in 1961 with with reptilicus the first of our season two here of the 60s 
and yeah it i mean it's in color it it does feel of the the time period i would say and yeah yeah coming out of the 50s we had so many generic titles to to talk about the the title of this one like the deadly mantis and giant claw very adjective laden titles almost yeah. every single title from the 60s here on out is just the name of the monster the yeah which the i I, I like a lot more i've always appreciated the monsters having a name even mm-hmm. even with this one where you know the monster doesn't seem to have a ton of personality it's partially because of the the clear production uh budget being almost nothing but yeah uh, you're, you're kind of already starting so let, let's let's get into this like tell tell us you know what's in a title right so it was named reptilicus and i think that's what the the reporters dub it in the movie <laughs> and maybe that's you know what they were working with for the script but it was bandied about that because of the popularity of comedian dirch passer who we're going to talk about later the film was suggested to be called uh, dirch and the dragon at one point by yeah, maybe director paul band I, I can kind of see that like in kind of an abbott and costello meet frankenstein type of yeah, deal he doesn't really interact with them in the movie so maybe this was like before the script was was finalized dirch pasher like i said who we'll talk about just kind of seems stapled on to this film like the, I, i'm pretty sure he was taken out of the american release completely (laughs) Um, because i mean there's multiple scenes where it's just him so and he doesn't really interact with the no yeah it's 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 very weird but yeah this one has a ton of international separate titles throughout the world some that make sense some that don't the dinosaur is avenged was one of the greek greek titles including threat to the city against all nations uh, Reptilicus, the monster of the seas in, in France and invincible monster Reptilicus in Argentina. I very much like the Japanese DVD title. Do you see this, Miles? Yes. Yeah. S- Slaughter of the frozen evil primitive beast Reptilicus. <laughs> I, and, and the thing is, I, I, one, I'm very, very happy that we are, are back to the idea of, of naming these creatures. That having an actual name and Reptilicus is a great name. I don't love it, but like it's at least an effort. (laughs) I I think I wouldn't mind it if it had again, if it had a little bit more of a personality as a kaiju. Mm. And this is this is the first one that we see the first uh, English speaking film. Well, at least the first one I watched, which is on Paramount Plus. No, no, Tubi. This one's on Tubi. Next week's on Paramount Plus. Is this our first English speaking film in color? Yes. yes I think I it think is. So. I, I know it was, it wasn't this film. I think it was the producers of Conga, like, tried to take uh, basically credit for being like one of the first color monster movies. And I'm like, yo, the Japanese had you beat by kind of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it just makes me more and more angry every, <laughs> every movie in the 50s that we watched after them because they as, as we talked about started filming in, in color for them and then the camera broke and they're like all right whatever it's black and white now <laughs> but uh yeah this this one you know it it like i said it looks a little bit ahead of its time maybe because of the the color filming in some scenes we still still do have some production value that 
feels like it's from the 50s. I think whenever we're in like a conference room or one of the laboratories, those sets just aren't they aren't filmed the same way as some of the the outside uh, shots. So the the outside shots feel very amateurish. Yeah. And there isn't a whole lot of I don't want to say artistry behind it, but it it doesn't seem to have a lot. of. I mean, they basically popped on a tripod and just try to get everything in 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 the shot, and that's it. There's no there's no thought about like framing this stuff, and and that mm-hmm. definitely comes to the movie's detriment when the creature ends up showing up because you get this shot of them of the puppet that they use, which it's almost good. Hey, it's better than the giant claw, <laughs> right? Like that's the thing is, it's not that it's a bad looking puppet. Like if this had been black and white ten years prior, I could have given it a lot more credit. Now this is a, a a low budget production from a country that has never done one of these movies and doesn't do one again. Uh, I, I think that the, the monster is at least a cool idea. It's a very cool idea. We should probably talk a little bit about the background of, of how everything comes out. So Reptilicus uh, to just give a, a brief recap is indeed a ancient monster that is dug up. So not encased in ice or in the bottom of the ocean, but is in layers of strata. And they find a a, a Danish miner finds a, a non-fossilized tail of this lizard that is still bleeding. I think maybe it was supposed to be in maybe like layers of ice and rock. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be kind of semi-fossilized. So that's why he hadn't, you know, kind of come to. But, <laughs> but they, it, they they dig it out or like show it, and it's like bleeding at first. And well, because like, they, oh. they they're 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 mining and they cut into it, so they yeah. It, it's interesting because I mean, basically, this is the the kaiju Wolverine, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. And as as gross as it is, it the idea I think that they pitched originally was like a woolly mammoth descending on Copenhagen you know, attacking like that was the pitch originally, you know, because they had recently dug up remains that were non-fossilized of of mammoths. And it's like, well, what if a lizard? (laughs) And I I think they don't quite understand how a lizard can regenerate its tail. (laughs) They they went the other way. And it's definitely that made up science where it's like, oh, this happens. What what if the entire body? Like, yeah, it's it's a funny I, I I love this kind of like, you know, let's take this application of science, ignore science. but Let's take this one thing mm-hmm. and like apply it to everything. But to what you were saying, I actually probably would have appreciated it if it had been a woolly. I mean, I, I think until it been a little more, I guess, regional. Like, I, I don't think there yeah, are a exactly. ton of lizards in Lapland. <laughs> well, and, and that's Maybe the thing for me. 10,000 years ago, who knows? It, it would have felt a little bit more of the Northern European, well, more Scandinavian. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, because I don't think we see a mammoth until 2016's Godzilla King of the Monster, Monsters, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. with not, not a kaiju mammoth, anyway. Behemoth in, in the... Monsterverse. I think so. Visionary. I really like that kaiju. I think it was a a cool kind of addition. But yeah, it's it's this is a more of a Manda style great serpent reptilicus. And when we get a, a final look at it, it has wings, I believe, and I think was originally going to or no the the 
original Danish version has a scene of it flying around, which is a different puppet, I believe, and looks just like flying puppets, even of of Toho creations. It's just, you know, on a wire and is is not moving, is not flapping its wings. So they took it out. AIP got the final cut of this this movie for from the American version and we're very unhappy with several aspects of it. Yeah, they they basically <laughs> remade the movie. I mean, yeah, but for they actually shot additional scenes and and went back with the original actors. But uh, I want to talk about Denmark a little bit because it's not a country I knew a, a ton of, and it's so weird that this little nation decided to make their own kaiju movie. But it is a peninsula off of continental europe and it's right there in scandinavia kind of copenhagen is right next to sweden if memory serves uh currently has a female monarch and a female head of state and the only thing i really knew about it going into this movie is to where legos come from <laughs> I, I i mean i've picked up things you know from watching you know, travel shows and stuff i've never been i, I, I would actually love to go to copenhagen oh it's, yeah it's really, really beautiful, and I, I watch. I watched the episode of Travel Man, <laughs> which oh. hosted by uh, Richard Ayoade, Ayoade, and it just it looks like a very, very lovely place, a very interesting place, and and with like any European country, so much history, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I I would love to to have a European trip where I could just spend some time there. And believe it or not. Reptilkus is a part of that history now. They're actually pretty proud of this kaiju over well, and there. The thing is, is I, I mean, I get it. Like, I don't love this movie, but I definitely get it. Mm-hmm. There is a a goofy fun to it. It's and 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 that ha- that ties into it to its legacy at this point. But I I, I can understand the 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 pride, <laughs> and I'm kind of curious where the passion for making a monster movie comes from because you know they this we don't get another one, so it mm-hmm. had to be you know a very specific drive with a very specific you know, group of people who wanted to make a giant monster film. Yeah. And and part of it is they, they've got that, that money from AIP and they've got the, the direction AIP we've talked about before American international pictures it was the home of Roger Corman, but more importantly, Samuel Z. Arkoff, who was the main producer and force behind the amazing colossal man and war of the colossal beast. <laughs> we hadn't talked about him too much but he is is kind of the tanaka of the american production companies churning out these b movies for double features at drive-throughs and had a formula for movie making maybe called the the arkov formula which is an acronym of his his last name which includes action revolution killing oratory fantasy and fornication so I, I'm curious about that because if every movie has to kind of fall in line, where's the revolution in Reptilicus? A novel or controversial idea? I, I don't really know. I mean, it has some I, interesting ideas with the the monster. Yeah, they're fun ideas. I wouldn't call them that novel or controversial. Revolution, <laughs> revolutionary, yeah. Um, put, put, put a little little beret on Reptilicus. Well, I'm trying to like think of like these six in the amazing colossal man as well and it's like 
I, I don't really like there's very little action in, there, in there, any of it. There, there's, 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 there's no, oratory. There's no, there's no fornication either. I mean, there's, you know, a, an, a romantic interest. And I was about to say, at in, in the very one, least, there's romance in that movie with, yeah. with the, the fiance, you know, tracking him down. Well, and, well in this one, you have a what's her name who is like on a mission uh, <laughs> to, to get a man. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want a man? Uh, yeah, I, I, we can talk about the actors in a little bit. The cast and crew here. N- none of them really stand out in good ways for uh, me unfortunately i i think anderson does because he just reminds me uh he looks exact i had to look him up to make sure it wasn't him but i knew it wasn't even <laughs> though i think this actor was german he looks exactly like vigo the carpathian i'm sorry anderson the actor's name he uh professor otto martins oh right right Os- osborne anderson the actor yeah he, he looks like he's Vigo. Vigo. <laughs> I, I need to. Yeah, he's, he's got a pretty classic face. Yeah, and that's that's what it is because there's no way it could have been him because he was already old in 1961. There's no way he was playing Vigo the Carpathian in 1989 in so, Ghostbusters 2, but he just looks like him. Uh, before we get to the, the cast, we got to talk about, like you said, this was basically a movie made two times, kind of like how spaghetti westerns were done. In that, well, those movies were overdubbed, but this one was actually filmed twice. Once uh, the Danish speaking version directed by Paul Bang, and then with the identical cast minus one actress who was subbed out because I don't think she could speak English. Bodil Miller, who played Connie Miller, was subbed out for Marla Behrens. And the English speaking version was directed by Sydney Pink. And, you know, they brought that version back to AIP for the U.S. distribution. They hated. Yeah, it did not go over well. (laughs) Well, they they hated the Danish actors speaking English, you know, because obviously they had accents. So they went back and overdubbed it with American actors, which I think is the version that you'll most likely see if you go out seeking this film was the, the overdubbed. The one on TV, TV is- I, th- I, I th- a lot of actors did have kind of a little bit of a a, a European accent, mm. and then there were there's a couple who were clearly very American. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll we'll talk about, but there's a Mystery Science Theater three thousand episode yes. in in season eleven, the return that came about four or five years ago, which I think is is just the American version has some, some differences and and some different scenes in it, but it also has a lot of dirge passer in it, which was said to have cut some of his scenes. So, well, cause he, he plays the guy that like Peterson kind of wild about at (laughs) first, because like, I mean, (laughs) that awkward conversation of like, Oh boy, I wish I was him. And it's like, no, those two girls are gonna eat him alive. And And I'm just like, this is, this is awkward. <laughs> there seems to be a running running thing in the in these European movies that of like uh, always these older guys commenting on <laughs> younger people and their exploits. I think we're we're talking about different actors. So Carl Ottoson plays Mark Grayson in in the the film the the, the military man. Right. right. Uh, I'm talking about the 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 blonde guy that pops up at the beginning of it that's peterson isn't it no peterson is the 
like the janitor of the aquarium who oh oh okay yes by dirge pastor okay i i mixed up the names yeah so peterson a lot lot of these guys don't really stand out peterson is great because he's this like barney fife (laughs) i i don't know what his like he's kind of a janitor but he's also like a lab assistant yeah but like he doesn't seem like he's a a bright boy because he's like electric eel and then tries to pet the damn thing yeah yeah so he's (laughs) I mean, he's like one of the most popular actors in Denmark at the time, which is why they were kind of leaning into him. I, I kind of wish they had. I would love to see this guy go up against Giant Monster. Are you kidding me? That <laughs> should have been the movie. That would have been amazing. Ernest goes to Kaiju. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. Basically. That Give me would, that Jim Varney vibe. I think that's what they were going for with the inclusion of him as a as a character it, it there's not a lot in the american version of of no he Dirk i mean Posser. he has as basically once Spartilicus is on the scene you don't really see him much again yeah, you get a they, couple of scenes with him at the beginning of the film before Reptilicus has fully formed. <laughs> yeah. Well, they set up that he's going to be the one that messes things up. Like, it's very important, Peterson, that you monitor the, yeah. the temperature and, here. And he's the one who's got his stuff together. He's like, are, are you sure? You know, and yeah. the doctor's like, oh, yeah, you, I, I'm be working late. You could just go on home. And this guy doesn't even close the door the massive refrigerator door properly. Like it seems like it'd be a very, very hard thing to mess up. And, and, and this guy, this, this, uh. <laughs> the, the American version of the film, they, they shot new scenes for, and it was, they used local Danish author, Ib Melchior, who's one of the best names, I think in the, in the history of, of Gaiju films, they brought him in to help write the script for the film he is best known Melchior for pinning the, the the pages for the treatment of Space Family Robinson that was cribbed by Irwin Allen to create the show Lost in Space. Oh, and that's he, cool. He didn't get credit until I think like the ni- late 90s film that, adaptation. That happens a lot. Of, heck, it wasn't until Batman v Superman that Bill Finger got public credit for co-creating Batman. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of of that in Hollywood. I think Melchior is is listed for the the new Lost in Space show. I haven't seen that in, in a while. But what a, what a what a amazing <laughs> idea for you know uh, he didn't really sugarcoat it with his treatment. Space Family Robinson is exactly what I Lost mean, in yeah, Space it's, is. It's a, yeah, and that, that's fine. I mean, because I mean, Space Family Robinson is such an archetypical kind of story that like mm-hmm. you know. He just happened to get there first. And yeah, yeah. And, and, so using that as a basis for a space story, it's great. And this isn't reinventing the wheel as far as kaiju movies go. The script is fairly standard for a giant monster movie. The Yeah, it, it's, it, it's pretty paid by numbers. It suffers a lot of what I think the majority of... <laughs> The the AIP, especially produced films, suffer from, which is kind of a slow start. There's like a couple of restarts here and some scenarios in the aquarium of the dethawing of the tail that are they just really chug along. And, and those those comedic scenes of Dirk Passer don't help it. But I, I think once we do get the kaiju in the movie, it does it does flow a little bit better. And we actually I mean, it's like half hour of the film, you know. 
it's it's a good chunk of time. I didn't I didn't log this time how long it took, but I know it was well past the twenty minute mark, and which is usually like the kind of the safe spot to see, to show your monster. Uh, both Godzillas mm-hmm. are around twenty two to twenty four minutes, and you know a lot of the American movies tend to follow that pit too, and this one, yeah, it it took a while to get going, and it wouldn't have been it would have been a problem. However, the, this. I would say all of the kind of European films that I have watched so far tend to be a little soulless in its its characters. The the giant behemoth was the same way. Yeah, this one, I mean, well, exactly. The giant behemoth didn't really feel like I had a main character until no. like half hour into the movie. And and some of the main characters, including one of the only female characters, just don't show up in the later half of the film. Yeah. It, it kind of feels the same way here that our two main female characters feel a little like window dressing, even though they, oh, they do, absolutely are. <laughs> well, they do help in, in convincing the military, I guess at the end about, you know, like stopping the, the attack along with general Mark Grayson in, in the, the movie, they, they, they explain, you know, what the regenerative powers kind of yeah, will they, they, have the impact it'll have. I, I would like it to like, all the dominoes for for making a plot are set up, but there's there's nothing there. Like, I mean, you can yes, you can you can push those dominoes and you can make a movie happen, which is what this is. Like, all these things do happen, but there's just there's no meat on the bones. You know? It is is a perfect film for for riffing in Mystery Science Theater three thousand oh, form. It is. I mean, partially because it <laughs> is so you know such a cheap place. production, mm-hmm. and it is over the all over the place. But it's not. I will say, like, just because it's soulless doesn't mean it's necessarily bad because the mm-hmm. everything they're saying is very, very simple, but it's not necessarily bad. It's not it's not compelling, <laughs> but it's I mean, it gets the job done. And I guess that's what you could say about this film is it does get you from point A to point B and until you get to the, the monster. But it is a bummer to me that there's that the human element that we spend so much time in is so frankly uninteresting. I, I actually think that. I mean, um, it, it makes me pine for some of those bad 1950s monster movies where at least like they attempted a relationship between the characters and they attempted I, romance, even though I would like a version flat. more passer. I, I think that that <laughs> would have at least <laughs> been fun. Yeah, exactly. We need something to, to kind of chew on. I, I want his goof em ups to be the reason the monster gets taken down. <laughs> his goof em ups if somehow the the key to stopping the creature was the electric eels exactly I mean, you've, you've got a exactly. dumb dumb ending but one that's still maybe a little more satisfying oh, trust me it may have it may be dumb i can appreciate dumb like if if you're if you're swinging over the fences and you go for a wackadoo idea i can give you that and this one has a i mean i would say like again all the plot points dominoes are set up fine I like the fact that, okay, we can't uh, penetrate skin. Let's try to <laughs> bazooka its mouth. <laughs> that's, you know what? That That's an idea. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. We'll, we'll poison. I, mean, I that, like that. That's the plot of, or that's how they took out Varen in right. the, the movie Varen, the unbelievable, unbelievable. Yes. yes. Right. I'm getting my adjective mess up from the fifties, but yeah, they, they were like, that's its only weak spot. It's got these, scales that are nearly impenetrable you know how are we going to destroy it well you gotta you gotta go for its weak spot it yeah. does have some interesting 
connections to plot elements from 1953's The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, because just like in that one, it's so dangerous to attack Reptilicus because of its regeneration from just a single piece. So they could blow it to bits, but then I guess you would have like five Reptilicuses after that. Right, that's what they're insinuating is that like a full Reptilicus can basically form from a piece of of a of reptilicus it's like a flatworm i guess yeah and i mean you know if you're going to talk about it it, it, it's funny because i was making comments about the giant giant behemoth which is basically a remake of the beast of 20,000 fathoms Mm. i like the fact that it's got you know this it's not just breathing fire it's got this radioactive slime and (laughs) which was only in the american version they were like this monster needs something else (laughs) and i like the effect so I, I, I <laughs> the effect is pretty laughable. <laughs> well, well we t- need a reaction t- the, the, shot of, of people on the street just being coated in in Nickelodeon slime. Right. We I don't mean, get I, that. I, I could have I could have given a little bit more credit for that. But yeah, just having this this green stuff superimposed is it's not super compelling for me in this in this movie. Well, um, it seems like they wanted to do something like that because the monster's mouth is just like a gape. The puppet is is a gog the entire film yeah and so we we, we gotta talk about or something for a second because this puppet if it were black and white probably would have been kind of neat but i think being in full color all of its flaws are on clear display and it just looks like a like five different people are kind of flailing about (laughs) And, and and which is exactly what it is it's not a bad monster design in in concept but you know, it's it's very very cheap looking. Oh, it kind of looks like a classic dragon, maybe like a more European yeah. version of a of a dragon because it does have those little wings. But there, there's only a few scenes towards the end where we get to kind of see a full body shot. Yeah, uh, uh, amongst the destruction of, of Copenhagen, and you know, parts of that look okay. There's, there's a part where it's like lit on fire, <laughs> which is yeah. I like, mean, whoa. It's not- it's certainly not the worst looking monster we've come across. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that, you know, they, they leaned into it. Mm-hmm. So there is that it just, it looks so darn goofy. And, you know, when you don't have a Ray Harryhausen, which, you know, would have made it look a little bit better, but it still would have been so stilted. I like that they tried to use an actual puppet, even though the way they superimpose it on some of the, the screens looks pretty rough. We, we haven't talked about the posters for this one, and both of them are just outright lies <laughs> in a couple ways. The the Danish theatrical release has him colored purple, which would have been an interesting choice. I would have been down with purple. And also, um, it kind of looks like he's breathing smoke <laughs> in there. And then, But the American one has him like 800 times taller and, and like destroying oh, yeah. the Golden it's, Gate Bridge. And it's, it's like, that- all right, well... <laughs> It's that typical painted style. And honestly, the the poster is awesome. I would love to see that movie. Yeah. AIP really, really just outright lies in their posters. But <laughs> it uh, just like the Attack of the 50 Foot Woman makes for a much more interesting wall hanging than DVD on your shelf. He, he honestly kind of looks like Fing Fang Foom in, in the yeah, American poster. Yeah. There's some, some Chinese kind of dragon tendrils, mm-hmm. which don't. I mean, it has like almost cockles hanging out of its mouth in the the film. It's hard to really kind of 
nail down exactly where their designs came from for for the monster. You know, it has like these like little drooping bits out of its its mouth. Anyway, did you have any any favorite scenes? Anything that jumped out to you in in the movie? I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, as, as dumb as it was, I I really did enjoy uh, old Dirge <laughs> or Dirge. Dirge um, Passer. I thought he was at least amusing. Mm-hmm. Needed more Dirge. Yeah, I needed more Dirge. Dirge factor. Because, I, I mean, again, yeah, I, I think you per, perfectly encapsulated what I was wanting from this. Knowing this guy was super popular, knowing that he's in this movie and I see him. I, yeah, I want, you know. Ernest meets a kaiju. I, I want that film. And it's weird to have this kind of big comic relief character. And then they know, give a lot be- of time to in the beginning of the movie. And then he just disappears from the film. Yeah. Then he just disappears. And he's not really important to the picture. And like, he's not even an idiot. I mean, like he is, but like, he's not like he's, he's, he <laughs> well, they, does show him at, they show him at one point is eating a sandwich, looking through a microscope in the, the American version, even I think this is on the MST3K cut of the film and eventually putting a piece of a sandwich under the microscope and being disgusted at what he sees. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know what? I, that, sight gags. I'm perfectly fine with that. that. That kind of stuff works. But like, you know, the re- I thought they were setting up. Well, we talked about this. I thought they were setting up for him to be the reason Reptilicus is out and about. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. And so for me. I, I like I said I found all the characters to be pretty bland. There was a couple of fun, you know, character comments here and there, and then you know you have Mark Grayson kind of being the hero of the movie, but also just he's just there. Mm-hmm. Like he, he he's he's a one dimensional cardboard cut out of a of a, a character, and so he just doesn't really work for me. And yeah. I I really would have preferred maybe if they didn't have to team up with an American production company and seeing what a, a Danish production company would have actually done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it probably would have been more dirt passer, but at, at the very least, we do get to see a giant Kaiju taking on Copenhagen. And yes, uh, uh, it's in the trailer and it, it's probably one of the, the more interesting scenes that they have Reptilicus chasing people through the streets and to a a raised Langebro bridge where you see people jumping off into the water and like an actual stunt that they they filmed people do and for some reason this so terrifies and horrifies the the bridge operator he like recoils in terror and the 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 main general mark has to like run in and, and lower the bridge so everyone can get to safety i thought that was interesting you know they actually use the the locale the shooting locale well in, in that aspect i i would have enjoyed probably more reptilicus destroying that bridge after people like get across you know like there being some yes. payoff to to the scene but yeah. I, I would have definitely enjoyed that. You also have some really funny shots of people superimposed on the screen being eaten. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they, uh, which just looks looks terrible. like uh, <laughs> paper cutouts, if, if memory serves. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, but I, I do I do enjoy like like in any monster movie, it, you know, the attack on Copenhagen is is at least visually interesting. It's I still put I 
feel this is stronger than most of the American movies that we watch, despite this, you know, having so many stumbles, it's a perfectly watchable movie. And, you know, I do think that this film does work as a kaiju film, at least in, in conception, maybe not as great of an execution, but yeah, this is absolutely a kaiju film. I mean, it has plenty of the tropes. Reptilica itself is a kaiju. Doesn't have a lot of character, which is a bummer, but you know, Mm -hmm. I'll take what I can get at this point from the English speaking world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I think that it, it does meet all of our benchmarks for, you know, what is a kaiju? What is a kaiju film? Critics at the time weren't in love with the movie. I'm not sure how it did in Copenhagen. I do know this is one of the, a few kaiju films that critic Leonard Malton gave the bomb rating to. And that yeah, is but like unrated, basically un- unwatchable. So, so, so here's the thing is, is Malton's kaiju preferences are suspect enough as it is. He has liked a couple of stinkers that we have covered in the past. Didn't he like Colossal Man? I, I think or, it, I think those got like a two, two out of four stars, which is like that's way too high. I mean, for us, that's like a five on our scale, which is like understandable. But this uh, one definitely, you had, know what I gave both of those movies, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, a three or four, you know, it's it's kind of in the same neighborhood, like one to two stars that this definitely doesn't deserve a bomb. No, it doesn't. before before we get to our rating, this movie actually does have quite a long legacy being Denmark's only kaiju film. It does have a little bit of lasting power in that world. We talked about the MST3K episode. It was also used. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. The, the start of, you know, Heston's run <laughs> Jonah Heston as, as the, the experimentee. Mm-hmm. Clips of the show were used in the Monkeys TV show. It popped up a lot of time in in some other 60s TV shows like Green Acres and the Beverly Hillbillies. And there was a comic produced in, in 1961 by Charlton Comics. Yes, these are delightful because the the same, I guess, writer did this and a future episode, Conga, and the art was done by Spider-Man co-creator Steve Ditko. Oh, so was this one Reptilicus's as well? I believe so, because IDW put out a, a art book of Ditko's original stuff. Because that's how they've gotten around doing some of the, I guess you would call it. No, I'm sorry. He didn't do, uh, he did do some of this, but it was part of a, I think I'm getting my, my Maybe. Comics he, mixed I up. I think he did Gorgo. He, yeah, he did. He did Gorgo and Conga. So I mixed them up. But because still, yeah, the, the, all, all these movies had these comic book adaptations. Yeah, this this one only got a couple of issues, and they I think they lost the rights at one point, so they had to rename <laughs> the comic Reptosaurus the Terrible. <laughs> of course, but yeah, this is this is the start of a time where they're really hitting on getting kids to these movies. And I think part of that is, is making these comic book tie-ins. Now you've got the kids with the comic books. How do you get the adults in here? The, there was a sort of novelization written by Dean Owen in the same year, but it was a, a good deal different from the film from the back of the book. The description is Reptilicus, the gargantuan prehistoric monster crouched on the ocean bottom, ready to take off on another destructive rampage blah 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 one of the beast's legs ripped out and blown from the sea general grayson looked at the girl beside him wondering if 
he would live to enjoy Connie's warm, vibrant flesh again. What? Pardon? What? <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, Sven Alstrup, his aide, was remembering Karen's wanton seduction of him and hoping for a repeat performance. It was basically <laughs> a soft porn version of the film and extremely violent. There's a description of them ripping the scales off Reptilicus and using flamethrowers to destroy the the creature. Director Sidney Pink, I think, sued <laughs> for the, mm-hmm. the adaptation of, of this book, which I think they settled outside of, of, of court, but was so unhappy with this novelization and, and using, I think the, the work without permission from, from the production company that yeah, they, they, they attacked the, <laughs> that production. You can still find the, the, the book, I believe uh, obviously it's out of print, but yes, it is out of print. Uh, you can get it on Amazon for about 50 bucks. Um, <laughs> loved this movie uh, so much that they wanted to make a remake in 2001 to cash in on Godzilla's success, 1998 Godzilla's success, but he passed away in 2002 before they can enter into to pre-production. So I will say this. I do think that a remake could work. I, I think there's some stuff they could do. We are we are in this weird period where yes, you have some European countries making some monster movies, which is interesting. But you know, as we have started to get into the 60s and where we have the the kaiju formula further defined in later entries, I I get a little antsy watching some of these movies where it's just the army trying to take down a giant monster. Um, yeah. I feel like you can only do that a couple times before it gets really stale. And heck, even, you know, when they've rebooted Godzilla several times, they will often include another creature because that's, that's what you do now. That's, that's really the, the, another benchmark of the Kaiju film after I would say 1962 or three is that you have your title monster taking on another monster. Yeah. You got to let them fight miles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fight. I mean, not, not that I needed them to try to make another wacky puppet to, to fight with, but man, <laughs> it would, I would have been down for it. And, but, but it's, it is interesting. I guess we should probably get to our, our actual ratings for this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, I mean, it sounds like we both kind of enjoyed our time with this film. I think so much of that is just how novel it kind of was being one of few giant monster movies from Europe. Uh, I mean, the only one from Denmark, but regardless, when we look at these movies, we are looking and comparing them to films of the era films, you know, produced nearby. So while we are looking at, at Japan films of the sixties, this is, is kind of its own thing. Mm-hmm. We are going to rate this on, on three scales, our personal enjoyment, the technical aesthetic elements and how it kind of resonates in the genre emotionally or evocatively. So let, let's go through our ratings for personal enjoyment. I, I think this one, like you said, does miss the mark in some, some places a little paint by numbers, but, it's it falls into the so bad it's good territory for for a lot of these movies so i gave it a five out of ten 
for for personal enjoyment, just kind of right there in the middle. I guess I'm agreeing with Leonard Moulton. And oh no, I'm not agreeing with Leonard Moulton. He gave this a bomb. I'm disagreeing with with Leonard. <laughs> what about you, Miles? I'm I'm also disagreeing with Leonard Moulton. I also gave this a five out of ten. I think it's yeah, yeah, it's you know not the best kaiju movie by any stretch and it doesn't do things that great kaiju movies tend to do which is often comment on the nature of of you know man versus nature or you know the folly of of man's hubris uh, or at least you know make some interesting kind of discussion and and this film definitely doesn't do that uh it it doesn't it doesn't fulfill the r for revolution uh <laughs> by any stretch the but it is formula. it is it is it's entertaining you know it it Obviously, it does fit that so bad's good. The MST3K episode is very, very funny, and it opened himself for that. For that, I, I wish that the movie didn't feel so soulless. But it, yes, it is. It is entertaining. Patrick's dog clearly agrees with me, and I think that yeah, I, under maybe with a little bit more money and maybe less interference from another production company, you could have had something that was a little more cohesive an idea. But yeah, it's, it's a perfectly serviceable Saturday afternoon movie. Mm-hmm. Technically, I think they're, I mean, they're just trying so many things. They're throwing so many things against the wall. You got miniatures, you got puppets, and this is them trying their their best at effects that they probably don't have a ton of experience with and for the most part this is a huge improvement over a lot of the 50s american monster movies that aip have shown us so bad puppet and all (laughs) it's still a bit of a a marked improvement so i'm i was feeling fairly generous i gave it a five out of ten as well (laughs) which so i i dinged it a little bit more for the technical stuff i appreciated that they tried to do all of this stuff and if they had had a little bit more time and money Perhaps Reptilicus could have looked a little bit less janky. Mm-hmm. I thought the script was very subpar, and and it's it's hard to ding some of the acting because you know you have you know overdubs of overdubs and some people not being voiced by their their. So yeah, that that's that's fine. Um, I understand that aspect. I I only gave it one less point, so I gave it a four out of ten because <laughs> I I did I did feel it was it really heavily affected the movie because there are, are a lot of interesting ideas happening that if anything whether it be the out outdoor direction or the script or everything the 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 danish american synergy or just the puppet being a little bit higher quality i think that that you could have had a really cool movie in your hands and you know because it falls so flat it does make it entertaining but doesn't necessarily make it good (laughs) i i agree with you there like i said i give a generous five out of 10. I was feeling generous. What about the, the evocative kind of nature of this film? Where, where do you think it, it falls in, in Kaiju cinema? So I'm actually, I'm, I'm generous on this one. I actually gave it a six um, <laughs> because it, you know, it did continually get referenced in pop culture. It had some comics and stuff and, you know, it made it to an episode, a recent episode of MST3K, which was the first, I think the first episode of the return of MST3K was yeah. a pretty big milestone. And yeah, that's not like the most amazing accolade to have, but the movie lives on. We're talking about this movie. I had never heard this movie until I watched that episode. Before we started uh, talking about it, uh, I I said that I'd probably watch this one more than any of the other European monster movies just because it had MST3K episode. I've watched like two or three times. (laughs) So I've I've seen this film a lot. I, I agree with you. I 
I, I can knock my score. I was given them all fives, but I can knock this one up to a six as well. You know, probably one of the, the more recognizable European monsters, not that there's a ton of them, but it, it definitely, I think, holds a, a higher place than like the giant behemoth. So, yeah, yeah, six, yeah six I definitely 10. liked it much more than those. Which combining our two scores, we're, we're both basically giving it a five out of ten, which I think is is kind of on two par. Stars. Yeah. yeah, it's a for- perfectly passable movie. I understand that the the movie is is kind of favored in its home country, and I honestly I would love to see them try it again. I would love yeah. to see someone else make a giant monster movie in Europe, uh, especially in the in the modern context. I don't know if we've seen any European giant monster movies in a hot second. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely would, would, I would show up for at least. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Right. So that's, that's going to do it for, for this episode. This one was a very interesting one to dig into Uh, having been so long in the fifties and these American films, we don't know a ton of what these other actors and the directors have done because almost all the other movies were, you know, Danish films <laughs> that we, we don't really have access to, but this one we do. And this one, because of the international language of, of Kaiju has made its rounds around the world. Mm-hmm. So a five out of 10, and that's going to do it for this week's episode. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Kaiju versus history. Email us with your Kaiju facts, Kaiju versus history at gmail.com and get ready for the next installment of our march through the annals of monster movie mayhem that's that's gonna do it thanks miles thanks listeners we're gonna catch you next time when we travel once more to the uk and take on a new version of what is still the king of all kaiju tune in next time for history versus conga (laughs) 